Welcome to the Arts and Antique Radio Show, where your host, nationally recognized certified appraiser Elizabeth Stewart, Santa Barbara's treasure sleuth, will help you put a value on the treasures in your own home. Every time it rains, it rains pennies from heaven. Don't you know each cloud contains pennies from heaven? So let's find out. How valuable is it? Hello, 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 Santa Barbara. It's your Chantress of Everything Valuable and Beautiful, Elizabeth Stewart. We spoke a a while back to Daniel Keppel, um, and he sent out an email saying he's convening a tour to Portugal that revolves around music, and I've always wanted to visit Portugal. (laughs) Right after I saw that email, I'm, you know, I'm a big Fado fan. I was going into YouTube, listening to all the beautiful photo music and thinking, gosh, I'd love to accompany Daniel. And I looked up his website and um, he's pretty phenomenal. I want to talk with Daniel Keppel this hour. He's the founder of the Performing Arts Review. Um, and what's so interesting about that is it he's a, he's a critic of sorts, but he's a internationally um respected critic. He's been writing classical music, theater, and dance reviews since he was in high school. He's hosted interviews with artists from around the world for 20 years. He founded the California Youth Symphony. I love the Youth Symphony. Um, He was the first conducting major at the California Institute of the Arts. And Daniel, one thing, you know, we, we have in common, my mother was the first female graduate in conducting at Juilliard. I remember so, you mentioning that the last yeah, time we chatted. Yeah. yeah, fabulous. And um, he, she conducted specifically um, barbershop, female barbershop. That's interesting. So, <laughs> yeah, she did. She she liked four part harmony. Nice. And that was basically her shtick. But what I think I'm what I think I meant, uh, Elizabeth, is she conducted barbershop. That's a male domain until your mom got in there, and apparently, did she use female singers? For her yes, yes. So, so, so she started a group. There was a group called Sweet Adelines. Oh, yes. And, I remember. Yeah. yeah. So she, and then Sweet Adelines had a, a subgroup called the Melodiers, which was all female barbershop. And they're like Amazing. huge now. Um, but that was my mom's invention. And nice. she conducted that in Chicago for many years. And um, But she loved four-part harmony. She was quite a quite a pianist herself, but at any rate, I digress. I want to talk about you. (laughs) Uh, He was the first conducting major in California to the arts. He served as conductor for California Chamber Orchestra, California Philharmonic, Seattle Festival Ballet. That's something I want to talk to you about too. Seattle Wind Ensemble, Seattle Seattle Debut Orchestra, American Collegiate Symphony, and launched the Santa Fe Chamber Music Festivals uh, with resident, well, actually many festivals, he founded the Santa Barbara Chamber Music Festival as well. Um, and he conducts these tours of countries with, with um, I think I think you've been to Portugal a few times, Daniel, haven't you? Uh, well, let's start with Portugal. I've been trying. <laughs> you know, you have to have X number of bodies in order to uh, pull off such a trip. Okay. And and the, the thing is, I've been trying. And then you and I and everybody in the whole planet knows what happened. I mean, COVID just shut everything down for two solid years. So I'm, you know, wrapping on wood and hoping I can get, get this one together and get us in and out before World War III. I mean, you know, every time I turn around, there's something, a worldwide plague, a world war, something. It's amazing. Uh, and yet life right, goes okay. on. 
so the issue is that you're convening this tour, uh, but we're not sure that that the world is going to hold together long enough. But I'm sure I'm sure you'll make it make it happen. And by the way, dear listener, if you are interested, you can take a um, performing arts review. There's information on the website there, and also just Google Daniel Keppel. It's K E P L. Um, and once you Google that, you'll, you'll see what Daniel's up to and what he does. I want to start this off by asking you um, a major question. Uh-oh. So, uh, yeah, for me anyway, Daniel. So um, my background is ballet. And I, I, w- I danced in, in various companies, Pittsburgh Ballet Theater, and, uh, San Francisco, and, you know, other companies. So I was in the court of ballet. I was never fantastic. But... The conductors, when they're conducting for ballet, is it's a really different thing. I mean, we had some conductors, and you could really tell the ones who uh, understood what we were doing on stage. We had some conductors that actually could watch us dance and figure out things to do with the music. And then there were some conductors who basically just, you know, back to us, and that was it. And that, you know, they they were doing their thing, and they... They really weren't paying much attention at all to the dancers. Um, and I remember our artistic director up in the nosebleeds looking down. We were a Balanchine company, so she, it was all about the geometry and the choreography. Yeah. Down, She was looking down on the company. And the conductor was just, you know, going full bore ahead and not really paying attention to, you know, in a court of ballet, by the time in certain productions, you know, you can have 100 people on the stage. So um, you want me to speak to what that's all about from the point uh, yeah, of view of a ballet I've conductor? I've always been fascinated. It's take, I mean, gosh, I, I haven't danced since I was 33. I mean, professionally since I was 33 years old. So it's been a long time, this question in coming. Okay. And it's been a long time since I conducted uh, ballet in Seattle when I first, it was really my first big uh, gig in Seattle, two years with uh, Seattle Festival Ballet. And we did, you know, some of the big stuff at the Seattle Playhouse, uh, uh, a couple of the Tchaikovsky ballets and others, some contemporary ballet, chamber ballet, the whole thing. Uh, and it was my first, uh, and what was I? Jeez, this was in the early early 70s or something. I can't remember. But, you know, I'm like in my early 20s, fresh out of California Institute of the Arts, where I my main thing was conducting orchestras, you know, was uh, uh, and opera and stuff. No, never really ballet. Uh, so it was a great two years. The company, you know, went under. Seattle Festival Ballet went under uh, after two years that I was there. But I learned the answer to your question. Ready? Yeah. Watch the feet. Conductors have to watch the feet if they're going to conduct ballet. They got to watch the feet. Nothing else. Watch the feet. And then somehow conductors also have to master the art of, and it is an art, and it's very tricky of keeping everything exactly right in terms of tempos and things uh, you can't fool around as you can when you're conducting an orchestra let's say playing the song, song uh, swan lake uh, ballet suite but in the in the real thing uh, that's it so so i very quickly uh you know learned that one which is uh, you'd have to and and that's been with me all my all my life ever since whenever i you know i'm a, i'm a critic i mean i started reviewing when i was 16 I founded the Youth Symphony, as you probably know, here in Santa Barbara. And at the same time, somehow or other, got myself into reviewing concerts for the uh, news press. And uh, and okay, so, so, yeah. so, 
So what you're saying about, let me just recap so I, sure. I understand. What you're saying about conducting for ballet, watch the dancer's feet. That's right. It's really basic. Okay. And then don't don't deviate from the, the norm of tempo. That was that was another thing. Um, it, 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 you know, some companies will prefer to use recorded music for that very reason, because you're practicing, you know, to a certain and budget, score. you know, yeah. And money, you know. Yeah. And money too. Yeah. yeah. So, but yeah, that yeah, really was I this, could. that's what I learned. You got to watch the feet. So as a critic, when I review dance shows, all I do is watch the feet. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I exaggerate okay. a bit, but, but, but that's the secret. Watch the feet. So, so that actually there's two schools. It's, it's interesting that you're saying that when you, that was one of my questions I have written down to ask you, but sure. your, your, your criticism of dance, how, how you critique dance. So the, the training in ballet, there's, you know, there's um, the training where it's, it's, it's a, it's a style of dance is called porte de bras, how you, how you use your upper body. And that is, that was made quite famous in the, I don't know, 18th, 19th century by the Danish Royal Ballet how the upper body moves and then the Russian and French style is watch the feet. So you uh, have your, uh, yeah. yeah, pretty, pretty good. I guess, I guess, you know, I want everybody to realize that I'm being rather simplistic. In other words, from an, a conductor's point of view in the pit uh, for a ballet, you watch the feet. That's number one. <laughs> That's I, primo. But then to answer your second question, you watch the body movement very carefully. And, and, because it's become very complex these days in 20th century ballet. Uh, and uh, I've talked with numerous uh, you know, choreographers and I now understand very clearly that, that the brain sees much more than the mind comprehends in ballet. So the brain gets it all, but it may take three days for somebody at dinner, you know, three days later to go, ah, now I, oh, I remember that movement. Uh, so uh, modern dance has a lot of minuscule movement, all kinds of stuff, you know. Uh, and the brain sees it all, but it may take a while to to filter. I love that. I, I love that because that's sort of like the, the, the magic, the miracle, I think, of of. The performing arts in general it's like you, you know you can and that's what makes a critic's job so interesting so you can pull it apart but what you're actually telling me is that you're the critic that, that can pull it apart but that you believe fervently that the brain sees the whole picture uh, even though you're breaking it down to this to the minuscule to ex actually grasp it and write about it um, so, yeah, that, that's pretty good. And then also with my conducting training, I have a completely different uh, view of how to be a critic because I've been a conductor. Uh, uh, okay, let's go to a quick break. I want to talk about that when we get back from the break. Sure. Because you've conducted for so many orchestras. And Richard, uh, there's on, on um, Daniel's website, I, I was fascinated reading it. Um, there's a, a, a Russian-American composer at Yale. It teaches at Yale University of Pennsylvania and Texas. He's a former lieutenant commander of the Soviet Arctic Submarine Navy Reserve. And what he said about Daniel regarding really? being a conductor and a musician, he said, as a submariner, this is a gentleman named David Finko, as a submariner, I have an acute sense of intuition. And my intuition tells me that you are an outstanding conductor and musician. I'm honored to know you. 
I don't, I'm not making the connection. I wanted to know what submarining intuition and conducting had in common that made this, you know, kind of resident genius com, uh, com, composer pull this quote out that, that there was some connection. Let's go to a quick break. Sure. Be happy yeah, to answer, answer that. Analyze that. Analyze that for us, the connection between deep submersion in the ocean, intuition, and conducting. This is going to be fascinating, fascinating is, response. Don't turn you, that down. Back you, just, you just did it, and I'll be happy to answer that when we get back. Okay. <laughs> Go to a quick break, Richard. It's Elizabeth Stewart. I'm talking to Daniel Keppel. He's a resident of Santa Barbara, but a resident of the musical world as well. He has an uh, organization called the Performing Arts Review. And if you go on his website, um, Daniel Keppel Performing Arts Review, you're going to see interviews and reviews, CD release uh, announcements, because, you know, uh, people will come to him, and especially some of the interesting um, CD releases that intrigued me were local musicians uh, and um, live and video performance in, in interviews and reviews, program notes, and of course his criticism. And before we went to the break, I asked him the this, you know, he's a music and dance and uh, performing arts critic, and he's been writing critically uh, um, since he was in high school. So that will be, you know, about how many, 40, 50 years, Daniel, that you've been yeah, that you've been something like that, maybe more. Yeah, I'm 75 so, as so, we speak. So there you go. I started at about 15 when I founded the Youth Symphony. Go figure. I don't know, but there you go. I've been writing reviews ever since everywhere I've lived. Now, now, I want to get into the our quote from from the submariner. Yeah, uh, as a submariner, this is a Russian American composer who was a former Arctic submarine Navy reservist. Yeah, I remember him well, and and that recording. Now I don't remember the details of the recording, but I I remember this quote. It was very, very sweet of him, and I can tell you what I think it means. Yeah, what does it mean? What does what's the he's drawing a parallel between being an intuitive submariner and picking up on the intuition of, or I should say, picking up on Daniel's intuition in regards to how Daniel writes about music. Well, so I did review him. I reviewed his CD. I remembered that some some years back. Uh, he has since died. He was a submariner for the Soviet Union. He was a, a whatever a lieutenant or commander of a submarine for the Soviet former Soviet Union, and very disenchanted with that whole system. That's why he, uh, you know, immigrated to the U.S. And I, it, it's it's a tremendous compliment, and I I dare to suggest what it's about because as you started a little earlier when we started this chat, the word that instantly comes to mind, and it's about being a conductor. It's about being a musician. It's about being a a, a writer, a human being. Is intuition. It the word intuition. You intuit. You know, all of us we intuit things, and we may we may not realize it, or we may even deny some of that intuition. But that's the secret intuition. So he essentially said, down uh, the equivalency is, and I do this all the time. I'm always seeking sub basement information, or if you will, uh, deep under the sea 
information if you get my drift to bring bring it over to Finkel's remark about about my review in that you know literature painting everything that is art has subtext if it's any good okay and uh, so i think that's it it's 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 having intuition uh, or shall i say uh honing one's intuition because we all have intuition in my case i'm a conductor and intuition is a huge part of interpreting like a huge symphony of Dvorak, let's say. You have to know the history. You have to know the tunes, the folk tunes used, you know, and on and on. And, on. and then you have to understand what's going on with the composer's life. Because everything, it comes, everything in a, in a human being's life is expressed in their art, if they are artists. Yeah. So. The, the, what's so interesting is that, you know, I, I made the mistake of asking a painter um, on, who was on our show, you know, what, what, when do you actually work? You know, do you have a studio time that's best for you? Do you go in at 10 in the morning and work till two? And, you know, what's your, what's your, what's your rhythm? When do you work? And she said to me, you know, an artist is always working, whether or not we're in front of the canvas or not, we're working and we're, we're, we're picking up on things and we don't even know that we're picking up on things. So, you know, when we're producing as we're painting, um, that's just the outward example. That's not the work. And she reversed that little supposition I had that there was, you know, that, but that's interesting what you say about the, this deep undercurrent that great art has. Yeah. So, you know, when let's do this, let's Daniel sent me, Richard, Daniel sent me a couple of, of pieces. And I, what I want to do is have you play a bit of one of the pieces and then let's let's do this. Let's play a bit of one of the pieces. We'll go to quick break, and then when we get back, Daniel will tell us about the the importance because Daniel picked a couple of pieces that were important to him. Local so composers. That's that's why I did it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and or or local musicians. But yes, that sounds great. I'm, I'm easy. Okay, so let's do that, Richard. Why don't you play a little piece? I think we've got two things going on at once. So Richard's very faint. There we go. Turn her up. Doesn't quite work. <laughs> no, they know we're having some audio problems. Yeah. Let's go to quick break. Richard will fix that during the break. Okay. It so sounds like let's go to break. Let's go to break, and you can look at listen to that audio. It's not working. It's wonderfully interesting. <laughs> it's skipping. Okay, so that's the that's the piece, one of the pieces that uh, Daniel brought us, <laughs> and um, I think Richard got the audio going, and so Daniel's going to tell us why he picked that piece to talk about. Okay, can uh, go 
uh, are we going to keep the audio going while we serve that? It doesn't matter. Uh, okay, well, I'm even down because it's it's uh, very contemporary, as, as everybody can tell. But uh, I brought two little samples because they are of uh, local Santa Barbara uh, musicians and composers who have made uh, CDs that I've reviewed. And uh, if I am not mistaken from what I'm hearing, this would be a new recording of a, a premiere commissioned uh, by Stephen Gross, Steve Gross at uh, at uh, UCSB Music Department. You know, I need to give give up the. I need to let me just bring up my page. I don't want to misidentify musicians here. Give me a second. Yeah, and there's the fiddle. Yeah, that's where we are. We're in William Bolcom, brand new trio for horn, violin, and piano. As you can see, it's a monster. Very very difficult. Hang on here. I'm going to try and find it. Uh, and and had its debut and everything. The the catch is this is what's so interesting about um, about. I think I'm going to ask you to put that down. It's driving me crazy. <laughs> Thanks. And it's driving me crazy only because it's kind of hard to speak over something that my own head. Remember, I'm the conductor critic, is hearing you know in detail while I'm trying to talk. So let, so I think we understand that that is a segment from William Bolcom's new uh, trio for horn, piano, and violin. Uh, Steve Gross is the, is the horn player. I don't have my list here, so forgive me, everybody, uh, uh, about names specifically. But this new new recording just came out, and that's kind of what I do with performing arts review. Lots and lots of of university professors, uh, co university composers. Uh, they put out CDs quite a lot because that's part of their tenure track. You know, if they're faculty performance musicians, they got to crank out, you got to write a book, so to say, which is to say, uh, re record music. So I just wanted to point out the idea that that uh, I received with a great joy for me is that I received CDs from all over the world. I mean, it's just amazing. And all kinds of CD labels you've never heard of. Um, so it, it, that's just the excitement for me as a musician, as a conductor, uh, is to hear this amazing really rather esoteric and brand new music as you could hear this bulkum is 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 pretty a pretty intense uh piece as of, of course as we mentioned subtext has all kinds of subtext to it i'm sure but i'm not there you know what i mean I'm, it's not in my head just now um but 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 there you go that's just an example of a high level of playing just coming out of santa barbara and there's a, another piece I think coming up that's going to drive people crazy too, but it's marvelous uh, because it's by a local composer now retired from UCSB Department of Music, uh, Jeremy Haladina. So uh, that's that that's kind of my overview of what that was. <laughs> Can't hear you, Elizabeth. I can't hear you. Oh, there we go. So, there we go. Uh, so the so the thing is, I was I was asking Daniel about why he um, is still receiving CDs. Well, I can't even play a CD anymore. Uh, you know, do you get do you get uh, like links as well? Or well, there's it, a it's a it's a transition going on, uh, as you yeah. know. And uh, I, I guess what is still so is that CDs are kind of like a business card. They're physical. When somebody wants to, I mean, I'm not trying to sell CDs for people. I'm trying to get work <laughs> for people. Uh, so when, when that, that CD is really important. So there's, we're still kind of hanging on to it. Although, as you've mentioned, more and more things are transitioning uh, to web sites uh, where you can listen to the music and buy it and so on. So it's all good. 
But I guess we're still, you know, once upon a time, we would have called them LPs, if you get my drift. So sooner or later, CD will kind of fall out of, of usage and we'll have other means to, to, as we do, even as I speak, uh, to do that. But, but yeah, people do that because they're, they have a business interest. Do yep. you also do you also attend performances and and write after you attend a live performance? I'm glad you asked that question uh, because it speaks to what has happened since COVID. And as everybody should know, uh, all of the performing arts, movies, everything, shut down for two years. Uh, and, and I was unemployed. All of us in the, in the performing arts were were unemployed, except maybe university professors who, you know, were able to, excuse me, to continue their work. Um, and this past fall, after, you know, we're all recovering from COVID, it's going to take years for our minds, speaking of subtext and, and stuff going on deep down inside, it's going to take a long time to get past this, this horrible event. Um, but this past fall, the performing arts in general started up again, you know, with live performances and audiences. And I have been swamped ever, ever since with live review requests. And you remember, I'm a freelancer. I make, a, I pay the groceries and pay the rent by getting jobs. Okay. So, so I, uh, I, I uh, do not turn, down, <laughs> do not turn down uh, work, but here in Santa Barbara, for example, it's been huge. So I, it, it, the comeback. So I've been reviewing the Santa Barbara symphony. I just finished a review of the of Santa Barbara master chorale, which has resurrected itself two years of plague. I call it plague, let's just be clear. Uh, and the Master Chorale has come back with a new conductor and it is fabulous. So it was a great pleasure to write written reviews for the, you know, for the local uh, voice magazine is who I write for. And then I put the reviews up also at performingartsreview.net so that it can go out to a much bigger audience. And it's it, what I'm, I guess what I'm trying to say is Santa Barbara is not local. It's not provincial. As you know, it's one of the world centers of art with the Music Academy of the West and, and the opera. Who, what, what kind of town this size has a professional opera company on and on ballet company? Ah, it's amazing. So, yeah, I, I, I do do that, do write uh, reviews of live performances, even theater now and again. And it's a great joy. It's a, the whole it's pretty much the same process, except CD reviews. I have a whole lot more leeway on deadline. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas with print, you know, print media, the, the deadline is, you know, two days later. So it's a bit, a bit uh, intimidating, but I, I love it. So Santa Barbara has come back big. That's great to hear. That's, that's, that's really great to hear. I, I know that some of my, uh, my friends that are still dancing um, or, or they're in ballet in general, they were like, okay, the first performance was just amazing because we hadn't been on stage for That's two right. years. And we felt it. We felt that we could feel the audience. We could really feel it. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think that's wonderful news. It's wonderful that there's opportunity for a reviewer in a town this size, too. I mean, that's that's kind of remarkable. Yeah. Hey, Richard, let's go to a quick break. What I'd like to do is perhaps... Perhaps when we get back from the break, you can play a little bit of that other piece that Daniel wanted to talk about. Okay. And um, then I I definitely want to devote some time to talk about Portugal because yeah, uh, that's fair enough. Let, let, let's do that. Let's go to a quick break and then we'll, we'll get into another piece that Daniel brings to us because it's a Santa Barbara composer. Um, yeah. And then we're going to go to talk about a little bit about. The, the Portugal trip. Don't yeah, and then we'll get some fado music. Yeah, we'll maybe yeah, get some fado. <laughs> Richard's music. got some of that going too. 
Okay. All right. Great. Let's go to Sounds quick good. break. Don't turn that down. Are listening to a little bit of Fado that Daniel sent a Portuguese uh, music that's famous all over the world because I want to talk to Daniel about the Portugal trip that he's convening. Fair and enough. you know, it's funny, Daniel. So I look back at our records and I spoke to you right before COVID shut down your last Portugal trip. Yep. I had you on the air talking about that. And then, you know, here we are, you're planning another one, which is it's almost three years now. Yep. I'll tell you what, I'm not going to give up on Portugal. That's all there is to it. I am going to, if, if I have to go there by rowboat, I'm going to go there myself to see Portugal. So I have this thing about Portugal uh, that has been going on for three or four years. I've been trying to get a tour together. And as I've mentioned, you know, you have to have a certain number of, uh, of people, participants, in order for everything to be viable, like the hotel accommodation and the rates and the meals and all the rest of it. So, so yeah, I, we, we, in 2019, it looked like it was going to go, you know, I, I had the people, they made their deposits. Some of them have still hung in this long uh, to, to do Portugal, I hope, this June. Um, and then, you know, COVID just shut down the whole planet. So, Yes, indeed. Uh, I have a thing about Portugal, and I'll tell you what it is. This is a country that has no real physical border with Spain. It's all, you know, uh, invading armies could have, uh, the Spanish could have taken Portugal easily at once upon a time, whatever, 12th century, 13th century. And they didn't. The Spanish king said, leave them alone. They're a different breed, if you will, forgive the expression. Uh, I'm not speaking for his majesty, whoever that was, Charles II or something. But that that I found fascinating years ago when I began really getting curious about visiting Portugal. So this is an utterly different country than Spain, right on the I Iberian Peninsula. And it is a peace-loving country and always has been. I like that a lot. It run, run, won its revolution against a dictatorship in the early 70s. I remember that when I was in my early 20s. So, so Portugal has been pulling itself into the, into the, you know, the free world, if you will, uh, since the 1970s. And and they are just a very special people. They're they're. I love their history as well. They had powerful queens which I find always very interesting. They had a military where the, where the soldiers decided who would lead them. See what I mean? What, what an amazing sort of democratic country without even before the word existed, if you will. And also it's ancient. Uh, the Romans settled Portugal, parts of most of Portugal. The Moors came in. So there's all that. The, the, the castles of the Christian crusaders, the Moorish temples and architecture, the mix of, of, of peoples. It's it's wonderful. So, so to to answer, I think your question, 
it's uh, it's been a while and i'm not going to give up on portugal until i go there with a group of people and it looks like maybe this june is going to be the is going to be the the, the one that's going to make the magic so number the, the of tour is set for june it's set for june yes june 8th uh, let's see june 8th through 19th is the tour of portugal and we're going to visit what, what will you do daniel How, what will you see well we're going to we're going to see all of basically sort of northern portugal the southern part of the country is less uh, in, inhabited. I'd love to go there some sometime. But for now, we're going to do the major cities, uh, two major cities, Lisbon and Porto. Both of them were royal capitals. The, the, whole, the crown of Portugal has moved around over the years. So all of these cities are glorious cities. I think everybody knows, has seen pictures of Porto. And, and Lisbon, of course, is, is just full of history. And then we'll do other side trips. We're going to go, for example, a full day up the Douro River, which is the river that flows through Porto and, and out to the Atlantic. And that valley, the Douro River Valley, is full of wineries. That's where they grow most of their grapes. And we're talking wines, wine varietals. I, I love wine, as you can tell from my rosy cheeks, perhaps. But uh, those wine varietals, most of us have never heard of. So Portugal is, is just a wash, if you will, <laughs> in wonderful grape varietals and lovely, wonderful wines that I can't wait to taste. Okay, you understand why, I, why I'm determined to go there sometime or other, if not this summer, then next. We're going to keep going at this until I get, get it to happen. Uh, what, and then we'll visit other cities. We'll visit Coimbra, which is a, the, the university city and has, has just a, a whole history all by itself. Um, we're going to go to Fatima, the, the great uh, uh, Roman Catholic shrine uh, and, and uh, cathedral. And we're going to visit as many uh, uh, cathedrals as possible. I think we've got, I don't know, seven, eight lined up right now because uh, Portugal has the largest collection of Baroque and medieval pipe organs in Europe. It's not in France. It's not in Germany. It's in Portugal, where all all of these are. So one one cathedral I can't remember the name just now, but we'll visit has five, and they installed them at the same time, whatever, seventeen twenty six or something. Five separate pipe organs in this huge cathedral, and at some times of the day, all five of them, you know, are fired up, and it's uh, you know should be. I haven't had it had that experience yet, but I can't wait. A glorious experience. So that's it. We're going to see lots of pipe organs. Uh, the, the tour is, I guess, what I'm trying to say, we're, I now call it a performing arts review travel. And what it really what I'm really trying to do is put together a tours here. I have uh, Italy is in in my mind for the future and other places. Sweden, that's my family's home, uh, but where we can I can take a group of people who really have interest in the, in the history, in the classical music in particular, uh, in theater and all, all of the performing arts, because that's, that's what I do. I think that sounds fantastic. I know my, my son is a devotee of Portugal and has been a, a number of times and stayed in some obscure little winery hotels and mm. my gosh, the pictures that, you know, that, and the um, the, the uh, beautiful tile work. Well, Portugal, as you know, is is world famous for its porcelain, you know, for its tiles. And what people don't realize is whole buildings are tiled, as you know, probably from pictures that your son has sent. Uh, so it's just it's just a glorious, still a glorious country that is almost a second thought for most people. They don't, you know, they, they don't quite 
Portugal doesn't quite come into the picture in people's minds, and it's one of the most glorious countries. Uh, I, I can't wait. I'm really looking forward to it. Can I ask this. Daniel, what kind of uh, price range are, are the tours? Uh, well, there's just the one. And again, I don't have my figures uh, to hand, but as I recall, it's something like uh, like uh, 31 or 3,400 bucks for 12 days and nights, including, you know, all the, as, as everywhere, all the breakfasts, we're going to we'll put together several dinners, several luncheons, you know, that kind of thing, and wine tastings, a couple of wine tastings. And uh, again, the best way to, uh, to, for people to have a look is to go to performingartsreview.net. And they will see that there are several sections, including my CD reviews, my live concert reviews, my my program notes for the Santa Barbara Symphony this year. That was the first time they've asked me for, to write program notes for them. And there's a whole section on the Portugal trip. And that, that's that's my best way of, of asking people to if they have interest in the tour, because everything is there. The complete okay, itinerary, so, the so pricing. You know, uh, let's do this. Let's go to quick break. I, I'm really intrigued by what you said that you're doing the program notes for our symphony, Santa Barbara Symphony Orchestra. Sure. I'm really interested in hearing how that happened and what you're what you're working on there. Hey, Richard. Sure. Let's go to quick break. And um, Daniel's writing the program notes for our symphony. How cool is that? We just talked a little bit about the Portugal trip. And uh, the the focus on the performing arts and uh, uh, and wine and uh, and the country itself that's going to happen in June, reasonable uh, price around three thousand dollars. Yeah, and then again, we'll uh, when we get back to it. If we get back to Portugal, I I had forgot to mention June is festival month in Portugal. It's crazy. Okay, that's another reason to go. Uh, that's right. Talking this hour with Daniel Keppel. He's the founder of Performing Arts Review. It's an international platform for uh, performing arts criticism, especially music and dance, etc. And uh, Daniel's a, a former conductor and a musician himself. And um, I've just learned that he's writing the program notes for the Santa Barbara Symphony season. I want to hear about that a little bit when we get back. And I'm and I'm not quite dead as a conductor. I'll talk to you about that one too. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> Don't turn that down. Back in a sec. to this little bit of music and Daniel's going to tell us a little bit about it. It has, a, it has to do with the Mayan people. Uh, go ahead, Richard. Let's play a little bit. Well, okay, so Richard just told me he really likes it. Um, now, Daniel, what's your thoughts? Wow, 
Well, my, my thoughts are, are simple. Uh, let me tell you what this is all about. Uh, Jeremy Haladina uh, was on the music faculty, just recently retired at UC Santa Barbara. He ran the contemporary music ensemble. He was, a, a, he's, you know, all, all that good stuff. And as you can tell, this is quite a contemporary piece. This is one of, one of his pieces. And, and I, again, I don't have my information, you know, specifically to him, but this piece is called Stingray Spine Cadenza. And I think you get the drift. Uh, and there is a Stella, I've seen the picture of it, a big stone carving, gorgeous, of the spine. Imagine if you can imagine a stingray uh, of the, the anatomy of the stingray's skeleton, which was carved who knows when, at least 800, 900, 1200 years ago. Beautifully accurate, a great work of art all by itself. Imagine this skeleton, this complex skeleton of a stingray, and it inspired uh, Jeremy Haladina to write this piece, which is with for harpsichord, prepared, I think, even harpsichord. So it's all sticky and prickly and spiny, you know, that's the sound, that's the idea. But there's much more, and I'm going to not be able to do Jeremy. Uh, true justice but this refers to what i was doing uh, what i do as a music critic when i review cds this was his cd called pok ta pok sky grant sky games from the mayan cycle and that's that cd and th this guy has been been obsessed with mayan culture uh, for years and years and he's composed this massive set of, of pieces that are his kind of way of, I hope I can get this clear, but he, he has developed whole sound systems that he thinks were, were maybe how the Mayans may have thought about sound. And of course we have no record at all of sound, uh, but we just, we do have these Stellas and I guess maybe there are probably, because uh, the Mayan also were the only of the people in, in, in South America and Latin America who had a written language it was written, gorgeous illustrated books, most destroyed by the Spanish when they conquered the whole, that whole area. So there's uh, Jeremy Haladina has done has done a lot of research. It's his obsession all of his life, and he's put he's putting together this enormous talk about twenty six thousand years, this enormous assemblage of how he, as a creative person, as an intuitive artist, hello. Uh, envisions uh, what what maybe um, Mayan music or at least how to interpret Mayan images from these Stella and so on that have been uncovered so that uh, crazy piece if you see the the image of the of the skeleton of, of the stingray uh, it's exactly right anybody home <laughs> There she is. Oh, okay, Daniel. I have a question for you. Sure. Uh, when you, you you made a reference, and, and I think I'd be interested to know, there's twenty six thousand years of um, something that is a cycle that you yeah. mentioned, and then you also mentioned that that this had to do with the way Mayans perceive sound, and I'm thinking of like the ancient Greek idea of the perfect harmony and that the, 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 the physics and music were interrelated in the Greek mind and this sort of thing. So um, am I on the right track with that? Well, we're all on the right track and that nobody knows, you know, nobody, nobody wrote anything down. Uh, so it's a, again, an intuitive uh, 
mechanism on the part of the modern humans to try and get some or create some kind of idea of what they, modern humans, think might have been uh, the sounds or even the structures of how music was composed. Uh, that that was, uh, I hope I've done Jeremy justice and that, uh, that's what Jeremy Holodina has done. He's tried to not only learn the history and to look at the stellas and to visit these ancient sites, but to study what's left of the written word. And through all of that, he has intuited uh, a, a, an idea of what maybe the sounds might have been like, or, or at least his own interpretation. For example, that piece for spiny harpsichord was no doubt Jeremy's uh, uh, interpretation of looking at that Stella of the uh, stingray. Just a, a, a quick question that it basically, um, when somebody is listening to something like that and they're not familiar with contemporary sound, contemporary classical music, um, what's your advice? You know, like, for example, if I played that for people that were traditionalists, they would think, well, okay, how do we listen to that? I mean, we've got like a minute left and I, I, I saw that. Uh, too, but I, I can give you pretty quickly. It's uh, patience and its maturity in the best possible sense. When I was a kid, symphonies of Leonard Bernstein might as well have been Stingray Cadenza. I couldn't make heads nor tails of it. Now, they're like Mozart symphonies. So, patience, listening, being open-minded. That's it, there it is again. Yep. Well, thank you, Daniel Keppel. Thank you so much. And everybody put on your calendar Portugal tour in June. Get in touch with Daniel Keppel, Performing Arts Network. Uh, PerformingArtsReview.net. PerformingArtsReview.net. Performing and uh, we'll see you in Portugal. Thanks, guys. <laughs>